What's it like building a seven-figure Airbnb business with a spouse? Well, that's exactly what Michael and Elizabeth Chang have done. There's been good times, there's been bad, but at the end of the day, they are doing this thing. We're going to learn exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it right now here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Calling all real estate investors, especially short-term rental investors, if you are looking to invest your money in owning a short-term rental, but you don't know where to buy, I have a hot tip for you. Kentucky and the Carolinas are a great place. And even with the rising popularity of short-term rentals, these markets continue to thrive. In fact, I'm looking to buy one in these areas as we speak, and I'm going to use Savvy Realty to help me with that transaction. Savvy Realty is an STR-specific real estate brokerage. Not only do they know the best places to buy in the areas that I already mentioned, but their hosts and co-hosts themselves of successful short-term rental properties. They know what it takes to turn a simple property into a big investment without wasting time or resources along the way. Whether you want to flip a house, rent your own home, or turn a brand new property into a profitable business, Savvy Realty and their agents can help you figure out what type of STR investment is right for you. Tyler Kuhn is the founder of Savvy Realty, and he and his team will consider everything from the overall look to the age of the home, the distance to transit hubs, and other major factors that you may not have considered. So if you want to make sure the return on your dollar is maximized as much as possible, then follow the link in the show notes to book your next one-on-one discovery call with Savvy Realty. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value pack membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month. And you get access to me, my podcast guests. You get to be a part of our amazing private community. You get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course. And maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. You're listening to me, Kyle Stanley. If you are not already subscribed to our podcast, please do. If you're on the YouTube channel and you're not already subscribed, make sure to do that too. Either way, leave a comment or leave a review. No matter which one you're on, we would love to see your feedback and also just All that engagement just helps us get out to more people, which obviously makes this a better industry. We just want to continue to impact more people. So let's get into it with, I mean, speaking of being a better industry, Michael and Elizabeth Chang are doing this business the right way. They're doing it in the way of together, like just not only married on a personal side, but they're married in their business. And for that reason, there's a lot of things that go into that. And I asked Michael that. Unfortunately, Elizabeth was under the weather and not able to join us. So we were only able to get Michael's perspective, but really I we got to dive deep into what's it like 
doing business with someone that you're literally married to. And I think that's a struggle for anyone, but it's also for many of you out there maybe thinking like, hey, my wife would be great at the you know accounting side of this, or hey, my husband would be really good at the customer service side, and I really want them to do this. This is a really great conversation that we had together to kind of discuss what were the things that really made this a really good marriage in the business, not just in the personal life. So let's get to it right now with Michael Chang. Hey guys, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're with Michael Chang today, and uh, we were going to be with Michael and his wife, Elizabeth. Unfortunately, Elizabeth is a little bit under the weather. So, uh, you know, that that's always a good uh, relationship, right? Just hearing one side of it, right? One-sided uh, communication is the way to a great, great, clear relationship, right, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's... Uh... I speak for both of us, so it'll be great <laughs> for us to, uh, for me to present the story, but yeah. thanks for having me, Kyle. Absolutely. Excited to have you. So, Michael, before we get into uh, this conversation, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun one. What is your craziest, wildest, funniest, whatever you want to fill in for the adjective Airbnb story that you have to share with us? <laughs> sure. I thought about this. Uh, when we had first started, both my we were working and our first Airbnb was about 30 minutes away. So this is probably like two weeks into, two, three weeks into our Airbnb journey. And we get a call from the cleaner and said, hey, do you know your bed's broken? And I was like, oh, we were like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, we have a, a, a turn in it. We had, we had someone come in at four o'clock that day and we messaged the guests. We're like, hey, you know, the bed is broken, kind of what happened? And then they're very, very nice. Like, ah, oh, you know, we, you know, we had a little too much fun last night. We had no, too much drink, had a little too much fun. Sorry we broke your bed. We're happy to pay for it. You know, we're really sorry. You know, uh, we're rushing to the airport, so we didn't have a chance to tell you. So we all had kind of a good laugh about it. You know, we were able to find a store nearby to deliver a new bed frame, and you know, they were kind enough to pay for it. But uh, that was uh, within the first month, so it was kind of funny. But it showed that you know we could actually, you know, people were people were nice, and that we could actually, you know solve unexpected problems. So that was uh, the first part of our journey. That's a tame story. I'll, I'll take that if that's the craziest thing that's happened to you. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, Michael, excited to have you on the show here. And I, I know your wife is here in spirit, but um, tell us a little bit about uh, what your business looks like today. How many units? Where are they located? Uh, are they all owned? Are they arbitrage coasted? Give us just that little uh, in-depth look. Definitely. So we have about 30 Airbnb units total in our portfolio. We have six cabins that we own the Smoky Mountains that my wife and I own. And we have over 20 Airbnb arbitrage units all in Philadelphia. So we started in New York. We expanded. COVID hit. We had to close some of those down. But we continued to expand in Philadelphia and use those arbitrage profits to buy in Tennessee. And we can talk a little bit more about you know, combining the two strategy and strategies, excuse me, and how it worked. But, you know, credit to Elizabeth, she like, she was the one that identified both markets and, you know, we worked together hand in hand to, to build this business where we both have quit our full-time jobs and focused on the business exclusively now. So that's really interesting. You said Elizabeth identified those markets. What specifically was she looking for to decide that Philly and Tennessee, especially the Smoky Mountains was the best place to go? Yeah, so on on Philly, you know, we wanted to stay in the Northeast, uh, you know, just higher ADRs in the Northeast generally. And just people have, you know, just higher, you know, kind of higher disposable income there. And it was somewhere that we could scale within large multifamily properties. And, you know, we just really understood the Northeast kind of, you know, the demand drivers within Philadelphia. And we were comfortable with that. 
has sports, education, you know, medicine, a lot of different demand drivers, which we really, really liked. And Smokey's, you know, I wish she was here to tell about it, to talk about it, but she did a lot of research, you know, shout out to uh, Avery Carl in the short-term shop there, you know, learned a lot from them. This is 2017. Nice. This is when Avery was like two people. And so we would <laughs> like work directly with Avery and her team, really educated us on the market. And, you know, there's a lesson learned to listen to your, your spouse because she wanted to buy in 2017, you know, collectively weren't, she was ready collectively. We weren't ready. And, you know, I'd be a lot closer to retirement if I had listened to her and we bought in 2017 because, you know, there's a lot of appreciation between 17 and 20 and then, you know, 20 and 23. So we missed that first leg, but at least we got the second leg. So am I understanding that you started with arbitrage and then started owning? Yeah, we started arbitrage. So we started with arbitrage in New York. So just quick story. Her dad had a, uh, you know, they have, they have a house in here in New York or, you know, a three unit house here in New York when independence moved out and we had read about Airbnb and we're like, oh, why don't we just give it a shot? You know, it's not a big investment. We're both still working. And after a few months, you know, we did it. We kind of learned it. We're like, wow, this cash flow is great. And then she quit her job and then we started scaling the business. That's awesome. So what was it you, you said she was ready to buy in 2017, but it sounds like you weren't quite, quite ready. What did that ultimate decision kind of look like? Was there some budding of heads or was it, you know, did she realize even buying in 2017 may have been a risk? I think, I mean, I think we both, we weren't savvy real estate investors by any means. I think we understood investing conceptually. I come from a finance background, but we hadn't bought anything ever. Like we bought our first property in 2018, actually. So we didn't mm. bought anything. It was far away in Tennessee. We're like, we're like, we live in New York. Um, and again, remember this is 2017. So there are a lot of the software tools, a lot of things that exist now in 2023 did not exist in 2020. Oh, sorry, 2017, the cameras, the locks, all this stuff. Right. So there was a lot of reticence on my part. Obviously in hindsight, I was, you know, incorrect, but I think it was more of like, she really under she had done the work to understand the market and I hadn't. And we just, you know, we should have spent more time to understand that and maybe just bought something smaller just to kind of get our feet in the market. But things happen for a reason. So, you know, I'm glad we're there now. You also mentioned that you had full-time jobs when you started this. What what were those jobs and what eventually led to you guys now doing this full-time? So I'm an, so I was an investment banker. So I went wow. to, you know, had got my MBA from Cornell, kind of thinking back over there. And then, you know, went to went to work on Wall Street. So I was so 10 years as an M&A banker in New York at Citigroup and Bank of America, Maryland. So doing really, really big, chunky public market deals. I really understood that, that part of finance. My wife worked in luxury fashion. She worked at Tiffany's and worked at Kate Spade uh, in their international kind of expansion department. So we came, from, we came with it with different skill sets. And I think luckily been able to kind of work well together to, you know, figure out what we each were good at and not good at and you know, being able to build this business together that, you know, this is now kind of our, both of our full-time jobs are being able to scale it enough where, you know, we can live and support, you know, us, our family, you know, we have a young daughter as well, uh, living in a, you know, fairly high cost area here in New York city. Nice. I think Andy from the office went to Cornell too, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he did. It's a big school, big school. There you go. So what what exactly though where was that point where you were like okay you know we are ready to do this full time we're ready to leave both of our jobs and what was all that led into that decision too yeah i, I wish this was liz was here because you know she she kind of left first she'd always wanted to do something on the real estate side she was a she had a real estate license kind of earlier on her career didn't really use it was just just kind of in the luxury fashion business and i think as I've been under, understanding the industry, it's 
kind of glamorous, but you know, not very well. It's not a very well compensated industry. It's a lot of work. And I think, you know, she wanted to be able to express her, her creativity in a different way. And she just wasn't able to do that in, in her job. So I think a big part of it was how do I, you know, find something that can express my creativity and also combine that with real estate. And, you know, somehow Airbnb, you know, Airbnb really does kind of combine those two, those two facets together, unlike a lot of different things. So I think she was naturally just gravitated towards that. And then once, you know, when, once we, we had a few units and I saw the numbers and I was like, okay, well, okay. And with my finance background, I'm like, all right, well, this really works. And like, this is scalable. So let's really do it. And, you know, she's like, well, she raised her hand and said, Hey, I, like I, I can do this full time and, you know, really, really grow this. And it was the right decision. So what were those numbers that you had to see? Like maybe tell me about one of the deals that you were doing at that time and you saw those numbers. What were those numbers that were coming from some of the deals that you were like, wow, I really can leave my, you know, I mean, that's a big time job being an investment banking. So what did those numbers look like? Like, I mean, the first deal, the second, you know, the first deal was, you know, her dad's apartment, right? So, or her dad's building. So it was kind of, you know, it's like a friends and family kind of deal. But the first, you know, third party deal that we did, I mean, the rent was $2,400 a month. It was a three bedroom apartment, you know, 30 minutes outside of, of Manhattan by the subway. And first few months, I mean, it was doing like 10K a month in revenue, 20, you know, it's like four times rent. So it was like, you're clipping five, $6,000 per property. And yeah, investment banking is great, but you know, you're just like, okay, well that's one property like times 10, like, okay, that, that's real times 50. Like that's really real. Again, you know, back in 17, you didn't really have the infrastructure, but now, now you definitely do. The software tools are just so much better now. But, you know, after seeing that and it was like, okay, well, you know, it's like a ten, like $8,000 investment up front so that you get back basically the first three months. And, you know, you didn't need a finance degree to figure that. You didn't need a finance degree to figure that out. It, it was pretty compelling. You know, New York's a great, look, obviously New York uh, was a great market before they, the new rules came down. But that's what attracted us to Northeast as well is because, you know, just much higher ADRs, you know, uh, daily rates than other parts of the country and more scalable. But, you know, with those numbers, you know, it was, we were able to, once we scaled a few units, we were able to you know, replace our income. My income, you know, I, I've, been, I've been doing this for a while as well. So I was at the point in my career where I wanted to do something uh, different. And it's, I didn't need to replace everything. But, you know, we had enough savings that, you know, we could take a, we could take a risk. And, you know, luckily, you know, we, we've had some success. Awesome. So I want to get into business with your wife. And uh, by the way, we've got the chat going in the Six Figure Formula group. A couple of people in here also doing business with their spouse. I see Tashiana says that she's doing that with her husband. So, you know, I think when we look at your business, when we look at your business, we see a lot of different factors, right? There's you live in New York, you're starting in New York, but now you're eventually expanding to Tennessee. You're expanding to Philadelphia. You're doing so essentially a large part of your business you're doing remotely. You still have your full time job. Uh, your wife has maybe just quit her job, but you're probably, I'm guessing, getting into the groove of like, this is what life looks like running a business with my wife. Can you kind of talk about maybe some of those struggles or internal conversations or issues that you may have been having by working with the person that you are raising kids with and sleeping next to every single night? Yeah, so it's a great thing that she's not feeling well. So you'll just get, you, know, <laughs> you, hear, you, hear, you hear my side of the story. So, you know, that, look, it's not easy, especially when you start a business, especially when you go through COVID, especially, which I'll, I'll touch on briefly. But I think a couple, like, a couple of key principles I think we had to learn in the beginning, um, and it obviously took time, right? Like one is just separating like the personal from the professional, right? Like 
there's a work part and then there is like the personal part. And let's, you know, obviously that line shifts and is hazy, but just knowing that there is a line there that should be respected, I think that was like a good first step, right? It was like, okay, you know, obviously we're going to disagree on work, but you know, let's not let it bleed into, bleed into the home life. And, and I think we've done a, you know, we've gotten better and better at it over the last five, six years. That's number one. The second one was just, you know, in the beginning, definitely, you know, I'm glad I'm able to tell the story that she's not here right now. You know, she wanted to get like this super fancy shampoo for the, the, the first units. And I was like, ah, you know, they're right. pretty expensive. I'm not sure of the ROI here. And then there, I remember that being a fairly long conversation, but that was something where, uh, you know, we both had to kind of figure out guest experience versus the financials. Right. And sometimes I was right. Sometimes she was right, but just kind of working out that balance there on how, what we wanted to do. So that was like, remember that was like one of the first kind of bigger disagreements we had that we you know, eventually resolved. And then lastly, it's just, you know, how do you divide and conquer, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, eventually kind of pulling yourself out of the business, right? And what I mean by that, as we, as we, as we scaled and we got, we have VAs and processes, you know, really being like, okay, look, we really got to get out of this, right? Because if we want to grow and do other things in our lives, then we have to kind of get out of this. And how do we actually do that together as a team, right? And they're, you know, there are things that people get attached to that they don't want to give up, but also just like, okay, we're, we're, we're business people, right? We're not. We're, we're not customer service agents. We're not, you know, this, that, and the other. We're not a functional person within the business. We need to get out of it, get onto that 30,000 foot level so we can continue to grow the business and scale it to a point that, you know, th that end point that we want. And we're just not going to be able to do that if we are always working in the business. So, so just kind of three lessons that, and there are many more, but I was, those are just kind of three things that, that come to mind. But I'm, pretty, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad I'm going to tell a second one without her being here. Yeah. She's going <laughs> elbow me in the, ab, in, in the side right now if she was here right now. Well, and that's what I wanted to actually ask a follow-up question to. It sounds like that might have been the starting point to potentially creating some boundaries or lanes that that you're staying in versus what she's doing. Is was there at some point where you're like having to have that come to Jesus talk of like, hey, we're having too many like back and forth about this. Let's just say this is yours and this is mine. Or did you have any sort of those kind of conversations? We definitely did. We had a lot of those and some were, some were easy, right? So like, oh, the finance stuff I'll take care of. Some of this, you know, the design stuff I'll take care of, right? Just because that's what we're naturally better at, you know, each kind of naturally better at. But there are things that we both were either bad at or good at that we both had to kind of continue to work together. And those are the harder ones, right? Like, you know, which market to go into. I think we both had kind of strong opinions on, on that, you know, kind of how fast to grow, how to grow, you know, quite, you know, just conversations on that. One thing we're both bad at was, you know, handling the customer service stuff. We both were doing it and we both had different philosophies on how to handle customer service. I think anyone here that has answered, you know, guest questions and complaints will attest to, you know, there's a different philosophy on that. And we both, you know, but it has a lot on that and for years until I think we figured out like we are both really terrible customer service agents and we need to hire someone that's good that's better than us that has the right mentality that can be in front of a computer so that's when we really we started hiring outside help you know first you know, obviously we had the cleaners but then you know really handling the customer service stuff and then after we were able to train the person then we both were able to kind of get out of it and then that person was able to you know handle it so we both eventually were able to you know extricate ourselves out of it so that was so that's something that you know it was just there, it was a long years and years of of not agreeing, not seeing eye to eye, but we solved it by both getting out and getting someone else into the into that role. 
All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash price labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership. That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. So, you know, that's easy. You're both bad at it, right? You, which means you both probably want to get that off your plate. What's something that maybe you both are good at that you haven't wanted to get off your plate that whether it's been resolved or still to this day is something that you kind of struggle over getting to see eye to eye on? It's a great question. I think, you know, my, my first instinct to answer that is how to grow the business. I think mm. we both have, you know, whether it's arbitrage, whether co-hosting is not something that we, 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 we've done that for a few friends in Manhattan that had, you know, nice apartments that are fully furnished. So those are kind of easy conversations, but that's not something that we've historically focused on. Arbitrage and buying, you know, kind of that balance where, you know, I think we both still have kind of strong opinions. We both, no, I think we both have strong opinions on that, on how best to do that and timing, sequence, how much. So I think that's just an ongoing conversation that we've had over the last five, six years. I, I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it does. Oh, yeah. I guess, you know, Knowing that, right, like just the decision of, hey, do we go into co-hosting? When's the right time? Like, how is it that both of you are coming to the table and saying, hey, we might not be seen eye to eye, but here's how we're going to resolve this or here's how we're going to, you know, I, I guess what I'm looking at is just for those out there that are listening to this right now and they're thinking, man, I'm doing this with a spouse or I really want to get a spouse on board to do this. And I just know that we're going to butt heads or we continue to butt heads on this, but I don't know how to get past that to yeah. make this a, you know, a, a really good business relationship. You, you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, I did. So just kind of what's the, what's the dispute resolution mechanism? Yeah. Right. So I, again, not that, you know, we're, we're probably not doing it right. Um, <laughs> but the way that I think we've landed on or, you know, just these past few years is who has, you know, I think we, we both asked ourselves like, okay, we both have a viewpoint here. Like how strong do you, I think it's like, how strong do you feel about this? Right. And then we got like a one to 10, like how strong do you feel about this? Is it 10? Is it a five? Is it three? And they're like, so it's like, you know, strong views are they weekly held, you know, or strongly held. And then I think that's, that kind of starts a conversation, right? It's okay. Well, we both, we both see it this way, but like how, how, like how strong do you actually think about it? Because a lot of times you'd be like, you know, like, that's strong, like I think, but not that. And then another person will be like, "No, I actually feel really strongly about this because of X, Y, and Z." It's like, okay, well, look, I mean, you know, I respect your, you know, I'm saying I respect you. We've done this business together. You're, you know, we're both equal participants. That experience has resolved like 90 percent of the issues. It's just asking that simple question: is like, oh, how how strong do you feel about it, and then why, right? Because there's a very few times where it's both like I feel both really, really strongly about something, and then that is just a longer kind of resolution process, if if at all. I think most things just like, ah, you know, I feel like a three, ah, I feel like a seven. Okay, well, why do you feel a seven? Why do you feel a three? Okay, okay, I get it. Well, maybe, you know, we'll play around the edges there. 
or you know another way to do it is just cut it like wait 24 hours wait till the next day just like noodle on it and then that you know once you hear those or the sign you have you know that motions out and that you have time to to to, to um to to think about it without you know kind of being the heated moment that's helpful as well that's really good i mean it sounds like what you're just saying is you're seeking to understand each other and just allowing for maybe some cool off times to be able to to see like do i really feel as strongly about this as as i think i do exactly so. yeah this is magnitude just magnitude of decisions right it's not just do i feel extra water right it's like also like how strong like how like what's the what what shade of what shade of red is that <laughs> it, it, yeah. is that is that convinced right because actually you think about it you're like, you know i don't feel that strong you know you, you'll actually if you're if you're honest with yourself too you like feel so strongly about that and if it's not about you know who's right or who's wrong but you know ultimately we have a child and a family it's like what actually makes money in the, the best risk adjusted way right that that's all i think that's also important too just like what is the angle? Like, what are we trying to solve for? Right. Is that we're yeah. trying to solve for like, who's right or wrong? Or it's like, we're trying to solve for like, how do we make money? Right. And then how do we grow the business? How do we do it in a smart way? I think having that alignment really, having that alignment helps a lot. And it just, it, it takes time. Well, I also like what you did there too, with just like, Hey, you have an opinion about this, but how strong is that opinion scale one to 10, right? Like, cause I can have an opinion. And if my opinion on that is a two out of 10 and yours is an eight out of 10, but we don't define that. And we might feel like we're butting heads when at the end of the day, the person who's a two out of 10 could easily just step aside because that person who feels an eight out of 10, you know, it's the, the risk and reward of, <laughs> of making, you know, Elizabeth mad because she's eight out of 10 on that. That's good to, to get out there in the open. I like that. Exactly. Um, and it, it also iterates too, right? It's like, okay, maybe you're wrong. You felt eight out of 10, but that was the wrong decision. Then sure. okay, well, next time it's like, hey, you know, that wasn't really right. You know, so it, it's a constant learning process as well and just kind of iterate 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 yeah so it sounds like elizabeth was pretty on board right away to do this with you is is that right was it her idea originally it's her idea okay and what did it take for you to get on board and i'm not talking about the numbers because it sounded like you know the numbers what you said earlier was what made you realize hey maybe i could eventually leave my full-time job but what was it that she said in the beginning that made you say like, yes, I will do this with you, right? Not just I will support you and watch you from afar, but I will actually do this with you. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty easy one. Um, I, I've always kind of this entrepreneurial streak to me as well. So, I, you know, wanting to start another bit, wanting to start a business wouldn't take a lot to convince me to do that if I thought it was a good idea. So, but, she, you know, I, I think being able to do the real estate aspect of it and what, being able to use this to build, you know, to, to acquire real estate was very compelling to me. You know, I just looked at at the time was this long term rentals, right? I was like, this is not interesting. I'm like, I don't like, why am I doing all this just to bet on appreciation? And if you live in New York City, it's like you're actually negative cash flow every single month and you're just betting on appreciation. And I was like, this isn't compelling at all. Why would I want to do this? And then once we saw kind of what Airbnb could do, then, you know, that was a pretty easy decision to, awesome. uh, so to try. It, it was, it was, it's a $10,000 initial investment, which wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of money. Yeah, no, and that's not. And so it sounds like you kind of just as a person in terms of the way that your mind works, it already fit with your model. Let's say someone's listening right now and saying, hey, my wife or my husband or my significant other, I really want them to do this because I think they'd be really good at it, but they're just not on board. What do you say to someone like that? Well, look, I, I think I would say I would say a few things. Like one, you don't want to force it, right? If someone's just genuinely not ready, doesn't you know, doesn't have, it's just very conservative. I think one, you know, like 
you, you don't want to sign yourself up to something by forcing someone into a business. Um, it's just, I, I don't think a great way to, it, it's not good for the relationship health. But if a person is, is open, I think a big thing is just go and find someone else that's done this before successfully, right? They probably aren't comfortable because, you know, you're, I think a natural response to a spouse when you do something is like, uh, you know, like really, like you want to do all these other things before you didn't really do it. Like, why, do, like, why take this big risk now? So I think it's just like, educate. I mean, not convincing them, excuse me, educating them on why Airbnb, like Airbnb or whatever you want to do is a good use of time and money, right? Finding someone that's done it before that can like give them a, that kind of, that experience point of view, laying out, okay, well, this is what I want to do. This is how much it costs. This is what we think it can make. Like just actually having a plan because like a lot of people are just like, I want to do this. Oh, because Kyle, I, I watched Kyle and, you know, Kyle said this is going to make us a lot of money. So like, this is why we should do it. Or Mike said, you know, it's like, oh, that's not really good enough, right? It's actually like data out and how it actually looks. If you go through that, go through that decision process, I think your, your partner will just take it a lot more seriously. And I think partners like intuitively want to support each other, right? I mean, that's why you're together in a relationship. You want to do together and you want to support each other. So, you know, having a family, and I think when my wife and I started in the beginning, we we're like, oh, this actually be a good way for us to, you know, just get more reps in as we want to start a family. Because like having kids, like having a kid now, it's not dissimilar to running a business. It's a lot of coordination and like negotiation, like, you know, you're building something together. So it was kind of a good practice. So, you know, if that's another way you can convince your, your significant other, it's like, hey, you know, let's work out the kinks now. Like, let's get a dog before we have a kid, right? This is kind of yeah. the same, <laughs> that, 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 that same uh, Saturday. Well, I, I like what you said there. And I think the key word was support, right? Like, I think a lot of people, they start a business and, you know, I, I used to be in a multi-level marketing company. And, you know, one of the biggest things we ever heard was like, I just want my husband or I want my wife to be on board. And especially in any sort of business, right? It's just, it's not that they need to be doing it with you. They, you, you just need their support, right? Like, and, and what is the saying, you know, woman who supports a man makes the man feel like he can take on the world, right? Like it's not, it's not them doing it with you that has to happen. It's just that support. And I think um, that's the key word that I, I liked what you said there. So, you know, Mike, what's, what's next for this business and for you and your wife? And it's, you've already accomplished a ton. You own some properties. It sounds like, you know, you're, you both quit your jobs. What, what's next for your, uh, your SCR business? We want to continue to grow it. We want to continue to grow it in a smart way. Um, you know, like you see a lot of people say, I have, you know, hundred units, 200 units, 300 units. First, it's never, I think first it's never been the goal. And it, well, having what that goal in mind before you started also an so you don't move the, you don't keep moving the goalposts as you launch your business. For us, it's you know we're going to take five five to fifteen arbitrage units a year, kind of where we're comfortable in Philadelphia or you know where we really know the area, and we're going to take those arbitrage profits and buy more properties in the Smokies or another market that you know we've identified. So I, I think we're we're honest with ourselves. Like we're we've been lucky to find something that works. So we're just going to keep doubling down on on, on what we know works. So we'll just keep growing the arbitrage business, keep keep buying more property. We really believe that's the path of long-term wealth. And then also, you know, growing our social media presence, right? So, you know, just, I, I think people are curious about the story, about how they can work together as a husband and wife or as a couple to build up an Airbnb business, to get, achieve that financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom. I think that's, especially now, this time, where we are in the economy, a lot of uncertainty. I think people are you know, hungry for, for real information. So it's been really good to, you know, kind of tell people what we've done in the last five, six years so that, you know, people can see a true example of, 
I'm 40, you know, I'm going to turn 43 in a few, and not too long from now, I'm 43. My wife's in her thirties. We have kids, you know, we have a kid, we have a family. So we're not just like a 20 year old. It's like, Hey, you know, look at my Ferrari. You know, we're like, Hey, we're real people. And this is a real path to building a sustainable business for yourself to support your family, support your lifestyle, especially if you, you know, just don't want to work in your nine to five, no matter what it is. Right. Like I was an investment banker. I was making really good money, but I mean, fundamentally it wasn't set. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't right. achieve the goals that I wanted. And this is a much better fit. So just one last question there, you know, you guys started in 2017, which really I would say is even a, ahead of the curve. I think really things started getting popular in right around 19. Um, and so you had those two years probably where you can s compare it to today. What, what does the market look like today compared to where you started and what are the adjustments that you and your wife are talking about making or implementing to adjust to the market? Well, look, the, the game has definitely leveled up since then. You know, 2017, 18, 19, you could, you could put anything on Airbnb and make you money. Now you really need to understand the market. You need to, you really need to understand the property. You really need to operate as a professional. There's a lot more competition out there, but there are a few professional hosts. If you can really dial in your game, right? Whether, you know, so find the market, find the right property, you know, setting it up properly, operating it well. You know, those are the things that are going to make you a successful Airbnb investor. Now, just saying, now just putting anything up on Airbnb and expecting to make money, you know, that's a recipe for not making money and, yeah. you know, not having a good relationship with your spouse. If, you know, if, if that's something that you're, you know, uh, trying to work on together. But I think that's where the game is, is changing. And for us, the adjustments are investing more in the property, right? Just, mm. you know, it needs to be, you need more differentiators now just because there's just so much more supply. And really dialing in your pricing, also like really, really important. But if you leave money on the table and you don't want to be priced too high where you're not getting booked. So it's just, it's a harder, it's a harder journey right now, but the rewards are still there if you can figure it out. Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the Fearless Investor Podcast and for helping our audience to conquer the world of short-term rentals. We're going to keep it now in the 6FF community for the live Q&A. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, guys, if you are not part of the six-figure formula, you need to make sure to go check that out so you can be in the room after our podcast with guests like Michael Chang, fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to join. And wink, wink, if you uh, go and explore that page even a little bit more, you might find there's a free three-day trial. Just throwing that out there. So anyway, that's going to do it now for the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. We'll see you next time. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called The Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.